All right, we're coming back. It's the beginning of 2024. We hope you guys had a great holiday break. We are excited about the list of guests that we have coming out. We've recorded a bunch of great episodes that are going to be coming out at the beginning of 2024, and we're excited for you guys to listen to them. Yeah, we're going to highlight some really cool Midnight Founders, and if you have any that you would like us to highlight or focus on, please uh, shoot us a LinkedIn message or something so that we can highlight them. And uh, 2024 is going to be awesome. So here we go, Jake. We ready for this? Excited for it, man. Let's go. Hope you enjoyed the break and get ready for an awesome year. Jake and I are here, are excited to uh, host the Midnight Founders podcast. Uh, We're here with a fantastic guest, Casey Baugh, near and dear to my heart. He's from the Promised Land, which is otherwise known as Cache Valley. For sure. (laughs) We're excited to have you here in studio, Casey. Welcome. Excited to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome. This is awesome. We um we have different guests on for different things, and um, there's themes that always kind of emerge in the podcast. I'm thinking what we're going to talk a lot about with you, Casey, is the door-to-door world, because you've had a lot of experience yep. in that with Vivint, and then investing. I know you invest in so many cool different things, Diddy yep. and others, so so let's dive in. I love it. Where do we start? One, I, I love the name that you guys chose, by the way. <laughs> you, you can probably it, relate no, it, a little. It's so fitting. I think anybody that is an entrepreneur can relate to like these sleepless nights and just not being able to get off the pillow and, you know, like the stress and the right. excitement and all those different like roller coasters of emotions that comes with being an entrepreneur and being a founder and what goes with it. So that's right. And I'm an investor of you guys, you know, obviously yep. love what you guys do at Rev Road and kind of appreciate that support you know the investment and kind of the just what it i i can't imagine what it's going to look like 10 and 20 and 30 years from now like the work that you guys are doing and so anyway we appreciate it yep big fan thanks well the goal here is you know this utah ecosystem is really incredible i mean you start companies elsewhere and and, and you'll get a fair shake but in utah there's this community that just rallies around these companies it's different yeah absolutely different so i i've got i you know, I dropped out of school, but like, awesome. The, the, you fit in with most of our guests here the on the last show. decade. I've spent a ton of time back at Harvard doing executive courses and done a couple of long programs. And, uh, like I'll have classmates that are international, you know, that'll come visit every, every year, different groups. And they come to Utah and they're just like, this is just different. It's cool. Like the can do mentality and like the, the belief. And it's like everywhere you go, it feels like somebody's starting a business or somebody's going for it. And, you know, for us, it's normal because you're around it all day, every day, but it's it's just not normal in the world. Like, it's way different, you know? And That's right. Especially, like, European people that come over, they're just like, this is, like, you guys have some crazy <laughs> energy here. Right. And I think it's, like, specifically, like, what you're talking about and what you're doing yeah. and what you're investing in, both of you guys. Well, yeah, thanks. Fun. And, and what's really amazing is not only is it happening, but people are so willing to dive in and help, too. If you ask anyone, hey, how do you raise money or how do you find a good advisor or how do you find a great co-founder when it's maturing too like exactly. it's, it's way different like you go you know todd peterson was kind of my mentor and the guy that you know taught me business but when they got started it's like if i need like some money i'm gonna go put a line against my house and that there wasn't like these like seed capital and there wasn't this ecosystem of like different types of capital to go support founders and the and just like the support you know, you think about kind of the roadmap and the blueprint that you guys have now, and it's much more programmatic than it was even five and 10 and 20 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the roadmap wasn't near as clear to like, what are the steps that you need to go take to go prove out your business? And, true. 
to fail fast and fail quick and get those minimum viable products and yeah. get that capital working, you know, efficiently and like smart versus go raise a ton of cash and <laughs> figure, figure it out, it along out the which way. is kind of like how it's been since the beginning of time and will be that way unless you've got some guardrails or some mentors that's that right go coach in so some rev roads some rev roads for and some sure. cb vaults yep yeah. <laughs> well let's start out uh casey with um your 30 second uh elevator pitch of what you're doing now what you're, what are you working on that you're passionate about that you're building and um, what does that look like i'm co-founder of sandlot partners um we're a private investment firm uh we've invested over 500 million of equity into you know growth into real estate projects into you know energy into more growth type you know we're later stage than you guys we're kind of a you know late series a series b there you go try to target like a minimum of 10 million dollar check and so we're not that early capital we're you know less risk kind of more downside protection try to go support phenomenal founders cool and that, yeah, so that's what I'm doing right now and really passionate about. And it's kind of a career that I never thought that I would be in, shouldn't be in. Um, Why do you say but, that? Why do you um, say that? I just don't have like the, like the, the typical track, you know, that, that finance track and specifically with fi private equity is pretty, pretty defined. You know, you, you get the accounting or the finance undergrad and then you go kind of pay your dues on Wall Street and you go work at a consulting firm or an investment bank and then you kind of go to the next one and you, there's just kind of a track that you get on to go be in that world and it's a tough world to go crack and i i ended up meeting a partner that had been in that world for a long time and you know i was i'd kind of gone the opposite route where i'd made money early and invested it and so i had you know capital but i didn't have those skills and just kind of ended up there by accident and ended up just loving it and it's good turned into like my favorite thing, but good for you. Yeah. Never, never knew that never expected to be in this world and cool. Didn't even know really what it was. What are some of your most recent investments? Just to um, give the, the audience kind of an example of what you invested. So we, we were David Nealman's company, Breeze Airways. Um, Sandlot actually came about because of crisis, you know, COVID, um, COVID happened, all the airline stocks just got smashed. David, you know, was like this legendary aviation entrepreneur. He did. He'd already exited JetBlue at that Morris point, right? Air, he did JetBlue, he did yeah. Azul um, down in Brazil, the biggest airline in Brazil. And he was doing, you know, uh, an airline that's kind of similar to the Allegiant model where you're kind of these discount flights. He, he had this thesis around these um, planes called A220s that have more range than all these other planes. So his idea is you can create direct flights on routes that don't exist and you go create the market. You know, Allegiant, people don't know this, but they're the most profitable airline kind of in the world right now. Yeah, you wouldn't know because you don't even get like a drink of water no, on those they, airlines. Yeah, but they, they, they solve a problem. It's like <laughs> they I do. need to go from point Provo A to point B. To, Nashville, for you know, example. Nashville, and, and they can solve that. No one else can, and they can do it pretty cheap. 200 it's, bucks. It's going to be a miserable experience, but you're going to get there. <laughs> and David kind of saw that as like, well, we can do it cheap, and it doesn't need to be a miserable experience we can go smile at people and we can provide great service and we can bring in technology and that was just always kind of his philosophy so he was building that airline and then COVID hit and capital just completely dried up and so my business partner knew david um from new canaan they'd lived close to each other and 
my business partner was like, well, could I go raise some money for you? And it was just this window. And we never would have had access to that deal ever. Like they, they oversubscribed every raise they've ever done. It was just this COVID window when everybody was freaked out. And he's well known in that and, space. And, and we, you know, my partner, he went and raised 25 million bucks in three weeks and the rest was history, you know, and I was an investor in that. I, you know, invested in that round and was kind of supporting him. And then he came back to me and said, Hey, you know, will you partner with me? And I, I originally saw Sandlot as like an investment. I was like, you're telling me you're going to go do all the work and we might get one more of those deals and we could get some fees and we get some carried interest. Like that sounds awesome. Yeah. I'll like go put up some money for some, but I didn't, I was non-committal. Like I'm going to put my time there, but I'll definitely like put up some money. So I saw it as an investment and literally with the thought of if we just did one more of those deals over the next five years, that'd be a great investment. And we, you know, partnered with Pelion and we did the Divi deal and they sold the bill.com and then we did an oil and gas deal with, you know, a local partner and went really well. And then we did the Gab wireless deal and that thing exploded. And we just kind of got on this like run and it kind of went from interested to committed in six months where all of those happened in six months. Yeah. My gosh. Good for you. Yeah, Casey. And they've just kind of, since then we've just done a bunch of them. You know, we did a uh, $60 plus million dollar investment in a company called ClickLease. We've got this founder. You guys need to get him on your podcast. He's a phenomenal founder, a guy named Bart Longson. Where's Shout out to Bart. He, he's yeah, a, Bart. Yeah, yeah, he was a... Get you on here. He was a... Lives up in Salt Lake. He was an NFL referee for okay. seven or eight years. So he's got just these incredible stories about when those sean payton and bill belichick and tom brady (laughs) so he has these really fun stories but they him and his partner a guy named matt hawkins um had started this company called snap finance okay and at that particular point they'd taken money from summit at kind of a multi-billion dollar valuation um rick stratford is a um, really exceptional investor he was a partner at peterson partners back in the day and owns runs his own you know uh shop and i had invested with him in the deal before snap Mm. and i didn't get the invite to snap and snap is multi-billion dollar company they took off yeah and so there was always like this like oh my gosh that was the one that got away like fomo that, that was the deal that thousand x you you're know living, what I mean? it was the, you're living with fomo all the time never see one of those again <laughs> and then we bart ended up investing in a deal with us um and we were were golfing and we said hey you know what's this new company that you're doing he's like oh it's click lease and it's micro ticket equipment l- lending so it's the same exact idea but it's for small businesses and what they would found is we're doing it for consumers to buy a couch or buy tires but that same consumer you know, needs financing to go buy lawnmowers or a food truck or an embroidery machine or trailers for their business. And it just doesn't exist. It's like, you know, banks aren't built to go do five to $30,000 loans. Like the underwriting process is miserable. You know, you're in this world, the collateral, all these things. It's miserable on both ends. I will say. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's no money to be made there. It's, It's kind of like this. And so they kind of had these billions of dollars of money that they deployed in these micro ticket loans. And they had all this data and this technology. And so they kind of said, yeah, let's stand this up. And so anyway, we asked him to invest, said, no, took him to 
abandoned dunes, said no, took him to Pinehurst, said, or, you know, Whistling Straight, said no. And when it was all said and done, we were the only person that got in the round. And we so you 60, led the round. 60 plus million dollars in it. And, wow. And it's been like a really great story. He's got an exceptional team. You know, they're really, really A caliber team. Like out of any of the teams we put together, anytime we go to a board meeting with those guys, we're just like, man, they have their arms around the business. What is their valuation now? Um, it's the same as one we led. They haven't taken outside money since. So, but they've, you know, close to tripled originations from, wow. you know, when we first invested. So, you know, the, the, the market cycle is different now. It's tough to like any valuation right now, valuation's kind of out the window. It's more, you know, how are the unit economics of the business? How's Revenues. the executive team? Are they, rev you know, are they yep. cash flow positive? Exactly. Like, you know, are they in a spot that they're, from a trajectory going in the right direction. Cause ultimately, like if you're doing those things, the future will take care of itself. The valuation will take it. Markets are cyclical. They're down and then they're up, you know, but if you're doing the fundamentals, you know, at some point the market will get smart and pay you what you're worth. And, and if you're not, you know, you're in trouble. Right. And so, right. Anyway, those are some examples of some deals we've done. That so all you. of, all of this has happened since three years, 2020. Yeah. Three Man, years. That's insane. It's been a ride. Hasn't yeah. it? It's been so fun. Like <laughs> wow. it's been, it's been so fun. So Casey, let's, let's go back a few years. So where did you get your original capital to join into this group? I did door to door sales. Okay. It's the craziest thing. Tell I, us about that. How um, did you get into that? So I grew up in Cash Valley like yep. yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I went to a little school in Montana to go play baseball. And baseball was like my whole identity. It was, you know, it, and, and, and I think, and I think about, you know, Cache Valley is such a great place. I can't think of a better place to grow up, but I had, you know, seven brothers and sisters. Um, Where do I, you fall? I'm number five. Okay. I, I'd never been on a flight until I was 17. You know, like <laughs> my world was just so small, you know, like it revolved around sports and my girlfriend and. And baseball season and, was and base, two months long. Yeah, it's it baseball and, <laughs> and it's Logan. football. And, you know yeah. what I mean? And so, like, to go out of that bubble, if you will, and go to Montana was a big leap for me. And then I went on a church mission. I went to Oklahoma on my mission. And when I got home off my mission, I had a friend, Jed Jensen, that was down playing baseball at UVU. He said, hey, come down, you know, like, come play down here. And so I went down there. You know, the only reason I'd go to Utah County was just to – play baseball and I've just never left you know I, I came down and ended up not being very good at baseball I got cut from the baseball team but met my wife in that same process and then reality kicked in which is like what are we gonna do I'm making eight dollars and fifty cents working at Franklin Covey <laughs> that's just it kind of cuts it for me kind of right now but it's not gonna and so this idea of like if you would ask me like what's the least desirable thing you could ever do after going on a mission be knocking doors like i just like it's the last thing that i ever would have and it's amazing how quick that switched when you're looking at it from an opportunity lens and you're saying i had a friend that went and made 50 grand the summer before and i was like i would run through that wall for 50 grand if if that's reality so you know, you're money motivated essentially uh, well i'm like desperation motivated there you, you know go. like i'm like there was it was flying without a net. There was no plan B. So it's like, I need to do something and just sales ended up being my ticket to, you know, get out. And so I, I, I worked for a small company that sold satellites for three years and was so happy with it. You know, I made 
$50,000 and then $200,000 and then $270,000. And so I'm like, I'm a 23 year old kid. And I'm like, I, I made it. I can retire. You know, like this is <laughs> tomorrow, like, 28. Like, I'm like retiring. This is, this is it. You know, I, I, it was, there was so much confidence that came from like actually getting a skill set that I can do this. I can, you know, stand on my own feet. There, there's a professor at Harvard Business School. He's the dean of Harvard, Harvard Business School, a guy named Nitin Nori. And he, he said this, he was on a podcast with Goldman Sachs, uh, with David Solomon, and he's talking about capitalism. And he said something that I can just like never not forget it because it, it resonated with me so much in my personal life. And he, you know, David Solomon's talking to him about capitalism and obviously Harvard Business School is kind of like the mecca of capitalism and teaching capitalism like to the world, you know, and he basically said, hey, you know, capitalism has its pros and cons and there's people who, you know, attack it. And, and the guy just kind of opened up and said, you know, it obviously like un, unrestrained, you know, there's some downsides. He said, but over the last 30 years, there's been over a billion people that have been brought from poverty to the middle class because of capitalism. And he, he said this thing then, and it just, it resonated with me so much. He said, the truest form of dignity that you can give to another human being is to teach them to be economically self-reliant. And my head just exploded. And I was just like, I was working for $8 and 50 cents an hour and I was, and with no prospects of any increase. And I was scared and, you know, didn't know kind of what the future would entail. Paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, and, and then I went out and I learned this skill and I became economically self-reliant in the summer. It was so hard. And, you know, you think about like, what's the purpose of school? And you, the purpose of school is to go get a skill that the market would pay you more money for, for the most part. You know, like that's kind of the pitch is you take this loan or you go spend these four years and when you get to the end of it, you're going to have a skill set that's more marketable than when you got started and you'll be able to, you know, for the traditional job. And I'd spent a summer and I got a trade or I got a skill set that was worth $50,000 in four months. And I remember just driving home with this confidence and this, like, this simple thought of if things ever get tough in life, I can, I can go knock doors for four months and make 50 grand. And I can't tell you like how that, simple thought totally changed the trajectory of my life. You know, it's 20 years later, but I, you know, the next year I, I learned a couple more skills. I learned how to recruit people and lead people. I, I learned how to manage a team and that skill paid four times what just going out and being a single producer. Cause then you get an override from yeah, each because person. I, right? I, I could get overrides. And then the next year I had multiple teams and I made more. And so I gained these skills over two or three years. And then, uh, the world, the economic world ended. It was 2006 and just companies started blowing up. And I thought that I was so smart those early years. I was reading these investment books and throwing, you know, money at everything that looked good. So you were investing while you were kind of at, my, at my, my, the first <clears throat> investment I ever did, I was 17. Wow. Okay. I was mowing lawns and my, I, my dad would pay me to read books. He'd give me a hundred bucks if I'd read these books. And looking back right now, I'm like, my dad didn't have tons of surplus capital, but he, he was kind of this can-do dreamer. And he would, he would have me read these books and all these self-help books, you know, The Magic of Thinking Big and The Richest Man in Babylon and 
seven habits of highly effective people and how to win friends and influence people and at a young age. And I remember um, I read The Richest Man in Babylon. I was like, Dad, could I buy a house? I'm 17. My dad's a realtor, and he's like, you know, maybe. <laughs> so he was selling a house for a guy, his little townhouse, you know, down in Providence. And he goes to the guy, he's an older guy, and he's like, hey, could my son buy this house? Would you sell or finance it for him? The guy's like, sure. That's so, so cool. No money down. I bought my first house, and I was getting paid, like, paying the mortgage, and then I was making 300 bucks a month, which back then it was like 17. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It was like I was. Plus, you own a house. Well, and, and I went on a mission, and your stipend on a mission was like two to 300 bucks. Yeah. And mine was double. And I was just living like a king. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, this is what investing's like. You put no money down, and you just get checks every month. It, it, it works. It's amazing. I want to do this all day long. Yeah, and so <laughs> and I came back and sold that house, and that's how I paid for school and got my car. But I'd kind of, every dollar that I made for those first three years, I was investing it. And I was doing it all wrong. You know, I invested it in a gym. You know, I invested in ultra inflated real estate. I, you know, was just kind of shooting it at wherever. And ultimately, like the, my, the owner of the company that I worked with, it was like my mentor. Like I, I revered the guy. And he came to me and said, hey, do you still have that hundred grand? Um, and I was like, yeah, but I, you know, decided not to invest. He's like, well, would you lend it to me? He's like, you know, the company's got some cash flow issues. And I was like, yeah, sure. And cut him a check, no paperwork, no documentation. He just stole my money. Oh. Never made a payment, just stole it. Ouch. Ooh. And so, like, literally at 24 years old, I lost every dollar that I'd ever made, every, every investment that I'd done, all those three years. And you couldn't find them or track them down or anything? You can find them. They're just not worth anything. And you invest in the house and wow. the, thing, the market shifts and the house is worth half. Of, oh, you know, man. you're underwater in the house. I'm in a gym that does, like, high-performance athletic training for college and pro athletes. It's not a great market fit. The economy shifts and everybody that was doing it, not doing it anymore. Like that's the first thing to go. And I learned like these lessons about like signing on a lease, you know, and being liable. I learned, you know, about documenting loans and like what type of collateral I, you know, should have if I'm going to go do a personal loan. And, um, and it was like this completely like naked. I was kind of naked emotionally i was just like i just did all this work i you know don't think i could have been more disciplined and, and more focused and goal driven and in like some that i i don't think it was like my fault you know you just company, didn't know the company blows up and yeah they don't have money to pay back against my reps we went and work the whole summer and there's no money at the end of the year oh. it was like my best friends it's me so that, hold on, that was on top of your $100,000 loss? I literally lost my job. I lost all of my money. I'm living in a house. Like, it's probably a smart thing when you're 24 years old to build like a $1.3 million house. But that's what I was doing. I was like, I built one that I put a check in and it doubles in value. That sounds really great. I should just keep doing that. And that's just <laughs> from 2004 to 2007. That's what happened. You know, you buy real estate it's worth twice as much six months later it was like this hyperinflated growth and me as like an ignorant 24 year old it was like well sweet let's do it and I, I remember i'm in this house and we're building this house and it's like kind of dream house at 24 years old and the market just changed lose my job lose my investments 
and this house is worth half of what we're going to build it for. And I'm like, I'm literally, I remember I'm laying in my bed staring at the wall. And my wife's sleeping like a baby. She has no idea like how bad it is. And I don't think I fully even knew at that point. And I'm like, how am I going to get myself out of this? How do I get myself into it to, to start with? And how am I going to get myself out? But it was this gift from God because it was like this. I was too prideful for sales, which is crazy because like, um, don't, That's have, what two, don't have two nickels to rub together from Logan, you know, like how, how am I too prideful for anything? But I was too, you know, I was like, that works beneath me. I'm going to go do the, you know, the more prestigious work. And I just hit rock bottom. Mm. No one's hiring. 15% unemployment. Like people that have great white collar jobs are losing their jobs left and right. And that was when I met Todd Peterson. And, you know, Todd had this young company. They'd just taken money from Goldman Sachs. And that was like when I learned this profound lesson about value and the value that you create in the marketplace. If you create value, you get to claim a piece of that value. And everybody else is getting laid off. It's like the worst time ever to get a job. And I'm getting called by five companies, kind of almost courting me and begging me to come in and meet with them. Trying to recruit you for summer sales. bonuses. Yeah. Like, here's 50 grand. Here's 100. And I'm like, I just lost everything. And I've got people falling over me to have me work for them. And everybody's losing their job. And it was the first time where I realized I don't have any money, but I do have a skill set that people really value. And it, that, that was kind of my first lesson that like your real value, you know, we, we did this conference in the fall called MW3. We brought in all these just really exceptional founders and investors and kind of leaders in the community. But Gail Miller got up and spoke. And she talked about Larry H. Miller. And she, she said, Larry's definition of wealth was my wealth is what I have if I lost everything. It's my faith. It's my relationships with friends. It's my family. And then he said, and if, and I knew that if I need to go sell apples, I'll sell way more apples than anybody else. I love that. And, and that's what I learned in that moment. I was like, you'll never go hungry. I got a skill set that's worth a lot of money. Yeah. And I actually have a lot of confidence that I can go put on my hard hat. And I remember sitting down with Todd and Todd was so proud of the company that he built. Everybody. What was it called then? It was called Apex. Yeah, that was pre-Vivint. Yeah, but days, any, right? anybody that was anybody, anybody that was like in real business would discount what he was doing and said it was wonky. And, you know, this is like, it, he just like never got respect from like the prestigious business community at that point, you know? But he was so proud of it. And I remember meeting Todd and he was 40 years old. So he's my age now and he's living in an apartment. He's had some big exits. Like he's, taken a lot of money off the table. He's made a lot of money for a lot of years. If you hear his story, he started making money at 22 and he's never not made money. He just has a nose for it. And he's Let's get him on the podcast. And he, Shout out to I, Todd. I, I, I just had him and it, it, like his story is phenomenal. Let's like, do if, it. if you can get him, he's, he's, he's a gift to the world. That'd like, be great. But he's 40 at that time and he's in an apartment with a 10 year old truck. And I'm like, driving a Range Rover with 24s and living in a house that's 1.3 million. I'm like, 
that guy has money and is living like he doesn't have money, and I don't have any money, and I'm living like I have money. And, and it was just this lesson of like, I want to be like that guy. He was so, a millionaire so, next door. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was just going to say he, yeah. He, I'm assuming what he was doing is just saving up all his money just and then reinvesting. He was right? just investing. When everybody yeah. else was spending it, he was just rolling it and rolling mm-hmm. it. And now people see how he lives and they're like, oh man, he's like taking over the world. Like he's got a global 650 and he's got 40 Porsches and he's, you know. But what they don't realize is he's living like in a tiny piece of his means. He's still rolling almost everything forward. He's living on a little fraction, but most of it just keeps rolling and rolling. He's the best investor I've ever met. That's cool. That mentality. Yeah. To to be able to continue that even through your success, I think is a pretty unique skill. Yeah. And and how do we perpetuate that? Because I think that that's a skill that where there are those that are doing pretty well now, and because Utah's economy is better than the rest of the yeah. nation, how do we get the word out about that? Because that's that's important for people to understand and know and live. I mean, mine was just a gift. Like I, I just had, you know, you think back to when you're 22, 23, 24 and how impressionable you are. And for me to be able to have like this iconic founder that I get to go have a front row seat for 15 years and go see these guys go from a $50 million company to I think they were 12 or 13 billion at their like peak. And just to like learn about finance from doing securitized debt, learning about public markets from splitting off a solar company and taking it public, you know, learning about mergers and acquisitions from splitting off an equipment company and selling it. Like it wasn't like business school, but I was getting this business education just from the doing and Todd and Alex, the, the two co, you know, the two guys who ran that business, a guy named Alex Dunn, who's another one you just have to get on your podcast. He's so good. But these guys, I just worship these guys. I was just like, man, like, they always make the right decisions. They always have kind of this leadership. They always tell the truth. You know, they get up, they just like, they, they just led in a way that I was like, man, I want to be like that when I grow up, they, you know? And so, and that was my, my models or my templates. And so I remember going to Vivint and I'd lost everything. And in eight months I'd made 600 grand, you know, wow. lost it, never even felt the dip. And it just never stopped wow. from there. I was there for a lot of years and, you know, invested in the company pretty early. And then they sold the Blackstone for $2 billion and had like a, a big, you know, exit for me at that point and rolled it forward. And then they took Solar Public and they end up ultimately taking Vivint Public. And, and even just in that job, you make really high sales commissions if you're, you know, if yeah. you're top percentile. And so I was always making seven figures every year working in the job and so you'd get this surplus of capital and then you you know try to not make the mistakes that you made when you're 21 and 22 and 23 and over time you just get a ton of reps and so i didn't realize it but i was getting these you know lessons in seed capital i was getting these lessons in early series a and series b and getting lessons in real estate and lessons in securitized credit and you know all, all these things is like i didn't know any of that language i was just you know, had, following what the people that I'd trade them places, what they do. And so I, I just, yeah, I, I, when I look back, I think anybody that I talk to that I really revere, it feels like luck ends up coming up. It's like, man, I was just lucky here and I was lucky here and I was lucky here. And I see that in my life where I'm like, there was just something bigger at work than I ever, you know, 
I could have picked 40 companies to go work with. And somehow I work with the one that doesn't go bankrupt and you. actually goes and makes a run, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think, I think there's two sides of that though. Cause yeah, you were in the right place at the right time. Right. Um, and had the right mentors come forward, but you were smart enough to take advantage of that and ask questions and yeah. look and learn and, and then put into practice what they were saying. Well, and also hard work too. That's right. I mean, it's not, you, you can gloss over those 15 years, but I was in that summer sales world and I know that it's a lot. It's hard. Work. We, yeah. we both were, we both it, summer sales. Of the, with the clips honestly, for a long time. It's one of the things that I'm like so proud of. Like yeah. it, 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 it like takes it a become, different, it becomes foundational. Like I, I think about my life today. And I don't get rattled very much. Like when people tell me no, or you get rejection, I'm kind of, I'm almost calloused. You got some thick skin now. Where you just like taken, yeah. I've just got kicked in the teeth so many times. So many doors slammed in your face. it doesn't bother me anymore. And yeah. I think that's a gift. Like that's like a real strength that I have. And like well, this belief that yeah. if I just stay at it and don't quit, it will work out well. And if all else fails, uh, you can go work knock doors for summer sales to make 50 yeah. grand yep so. well and, and i think i like what you're saying that coming home from that first summer you're like you know what now i can do, i have a skill yeah, that will, will serve me forever and i think i think that's the confidence that that experience gives those sure. who are doing it because then they're like you know the worst thing that could happen is i just got to go sell again and i yeah. can do that I, I think me and coach pope were talking about this um about parents today on your on your new podcast on right new podcast yeah. what is that and, podcast and, and Casey? thank you so much for like prompting me to hype it yeah we just yeah. launched it today it's called case studies yeah it's something that i've wanted to do for a long time go check it out yep go check it out um but i had coach pope um coach mark pope was kind of the first one that we launched with and he's telling his story but he's talking about the way he was coached growing up and he had coach patino and wow. he said like who he is as a man comes from those two years that he had with coach Patino, but also like, it was like a different time back then, like borderline abusive, you know, yeah. like the, like the rigor and the just like they whip you intensity yeah. that they put them through, but he's like, nothing rattles me anymore. Like I, that is my foundation that, I, I can persist and hard work. I believe in hard work. And if I just grind and have a good attitude, things are going to work out if I just won't quit. Yeah. And I think about that for me and I've just, I have this confidence that I'm like, I'll never quit, you know, and I'll grind. And those two things, you just, you kind of can't keep somebody down that won't quit mm -hmm. and just keeps working. We have, you know? we hear a lot of those stories on the podcast of uh, people and the lessons that they've learned. Yeah. And more often than not, that, the lesson that they go back to is one of the most difficult points in their life. Of course. It's always like those challenging experiences that they had that like leads to those. No, you kind think of about how moments. much more you learn from failure than success, you know, yeah. when, when success masks so many mistakes and so many errors, like when you have this positive momentum and you have this positive trajectory, you can like screw a lot of stuff up and it just gets masked by that success. And the contrast is also true with failure. Like you could do a lot of things right, but your deficiencies are just so much more highlighted. You know what I mean? And yeah. so for me, I've always learned so much more on the things that don't go right than the things that do. The, the things that do, I kind of get prideful yeah. <laughs> and start, you know, feeling like it's me and that I'm, I'm the you know reason that it's all working where you kind of realize it's a combination of both. Yeah. Like, 
you know, Warren Buffett's got this famous saying that like you take a good manager, a manager with a good reputation and a market with a bad reputation and they meet and it's usually the market that maintains its (laughs) its reputation or the industry. And like you can take a great manager into a like industry that has a really bad trajectory sometimes it's like tough to like straighten the chairs on the Titanic. Like you, you know, it's right, right person, wrong opportunity and vice versa. You can take a, all of us just saw this in the, you know, the crypto space where, you know, people that couldn't walk and chew gum, if you go launch a coin, it's just going to get momentum because this $6 trillion that the government goes and prints and, you know, these market tailwinds. I, I teach entrepreneurship at BYU. Oh, and cool. I, and I, and As I, an adjunct professor? Yeah, yep, cool. I teach with Corbin Church up there. Oh, he's awesome. And I'm, I'm in this class, and, you know, I'm always telling people, like, I'm the biggest evangelist of going and learning how to sell. So, like, that skill set's foundational. You go be a dentist, you'll be a better dentist if you can sell. If you go be a founder, you'll be a way better founder. Like, you got you to gotta be able to articulate your story, and you got to be able to, you know, present and have a transference of feeling or emotion, and that skill set's just so important. And this kid comes up to me after class and he's like, um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go sell. I'm like, man, that's so awesome. Yeah. And I see him at a BYU game at the end of the summer. And I'm like, hey, how'd it go? And he's like, well, I, I didn't go out. I'm like, what'd you do? And he's like, well, I got this check from the government in the mail. Oh, my Five God. or 6,000 bucks. And I put it in GameStop and I 12X'd it. And I'm just going to go trade. And I'm like, life just taught you a really bad lesson. Like life just taught you that checks show up in the mail and that when you can put them in anything and it's going to go 12x and that's not going to end well, you know, versus that lesson of like uh, the law of the farm and I'm going to reap exactly what I sow and, you know, that I'm going to get out what I put in. And that's like really how life works. But artificially, there's like these bumps in it where it doesn't Some play anomalies out there, you know, yeah. here and there. So, But this poor kid, you know, at 21, 22 years old, he learned the wrong lesson. And he's going to have to unlearn that, and it's going to be really painful. I don't know when it's going to happen or if it's already happened, but it will. Operating with that mental map or that paradigm is going to hurt him at some point. You know what I mean? And anybody that's been in it long enough knows, ah, that doesn't work. Right. It's not how it works. When you, you've been investing since you were 17. Yeah. uh, And obviously over the last 20 years, you've learned a lot of lessons. Yep. Uh, What would you say you've learned? Uh, and like, what do you look for now when you're so, making an investment? So we effort? have like five laws or five kind of principles that we operate off of and try to, you know, weigh everything off these five things. And the first one is, you know, Warren's Buff- Warren Buffett's rule of don't lose money. Okay. So rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, follow rule number one. <laughs> and, you know, if you just don't lose um, and you get, a decent return over time, it's going to turn into a lot of money, you know, and that there's a contrast to that. Like what you do at Rev Road, like the reality is like when you're early stage, you guys try to decrease the number of failures, but like statistically it's like 90 plus percent of startups are going to end in failure in the first five years. And 90% of those are going to end in the next five years. Right. So you're going through a gauntlet, like business is like a jungle. And so for us, you know, look at, a lot of deals. You kiss a lot of frogs to go find the prince. And so we're, we're, we're very disciplined on just not losing. And it keeps us out of certain, you know, asset classes. You know, we're, we're 
not doing crypto. We're not doing biotech. We're not doing startups. You know, we're kind of in growth equity companies with great founders and liquidation preferences and real estate. So we really try to be disciplined on downside protection. You know, um, a way to mitigate that is to invest in your fund, mm -hmm. to get a portfolio, the portfolio. that you yeah. mitigate the downside. That's right. So rule number one, don't lose money. You know, rule number two, um, it's compounding. And, and people, you know, Einstein talks about compounding as the eighth wonder of the world. Like literally, if you understand it, it will change everything. You know, Warren Buffett, he, when he talks about his wealth, he says, my wealth is two things, good genes. You know, Charlie Munger just died at 99. If you get those last seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years and it's rolling at the clip that they've rolled it, it just turns into a really, really, really big number. And so instead of dying at 60, dying at 95 makes a big difference in your net worth. Make sure that happens. Because of compounding. <laughs> but the second yeah, one I is, um, you know, living in America. Like you, yeah. you take the, the laws that govern, you take the, the regulations, the confidence of doing business, having a big, massive economy. You know, the, the state of California is what? The fifth biggest economy in the world, state of California. And so, you, you know, it's just like a gift to like live in America and Utah's I think as good as any place as far as like a microcosm for entrepreneurship and just the right culture and the right ingredients and the right support and so number two is compound we, we try to be long-term trajectory we're not like quick sellers you know in and out not day day trading like we're we're long-term illiquid investments that have a you know long-term horizon um, number three is take asymmetric risk and so we, we try to really focus on asymmetry, try to, you know, find stuff with limited downside, but enough upside that it's worth risking capital. You know, we don't want to invest a dollar to make $2. We want to invest a dollar to make 3 or 4 or $5, you know. And so you you could find a great deal. We, we passed on a deal today that, you know, it was this crazy deal in Chicago. You've got the, it's an office space. Um, downtown Chicago, great area. The first owner got too much debt. He loses the property. The bank is holding the note, and they're buying the note from the bank at 50% off. Oh, my wow. God. So you take, like, this massive number that gets shrunk down to almost a third. Yeah. So it's an unlevered 15 cap. Wow. Unlevered 15 cap. And, and you guys so passed on that? We're all systems go. You know, you're going to go buy it. Mm-hmm. But then when we looked at it, it's like the projected upside was a 2.2x. And we're like, and it was a small deal. It was, you know, 7 million bucks. And we have these other like really intriguing, exciting opportunities. And for us, we're a small shop. And so it's saying there's not enough asymmetry to that. We love the deal, you know, love the return, love the day one cash flow. All those things were so attractive. But by us saying yes to this, we're saying no to something else. Opportunity cost. And yeah. there's not enough upside yeah. for us to say no to, you know, the next opportunity that you could go raise 30 or 50 million and has another turn or two of upside, you know, on the opportunity. And so we really try to stay disciplined and making sure there's asymmetry at the top, that there's enough upside that if, it, if the stars align, that, you know, it's an outsized return. Yeah. And then the last two are just tax efficiency. You know, the biggest expense any, any of us will ever have is our taxes. 
And so we try to be kind of laser focused on how to optimize taxes. And, you know, there's so many, like, every time you have a different administration, the entire rules get changed. And you need to kind of play the game in accordance to the laws, you know. But there are laws that, you know, change things. And so, you know, Democrats bring a, a certain level of agenda. And, and with that comes opportunities. You know, we, we did a big land deal in Arizona that we're, we bought this land at a really low cost basis, um, kind of 870 a foot, 300 acres, right, ne- right in Gilbert, right next to Mesa, really hot metro. And by the time we closed, the land was worth double what we bought it for. So you have like this really good cost basis. But then also, like the government passed this CHIPS Act and this Inflation Reduction Act. And it's billions, like 50 to 100 billion of like subsidy that's going into skilled manufacturing, that's going into electric batteries, that's going. And so, and Arizona just is like a hub for all this stuff. And so this land, because of these subsidies, ends up being like even more valuable because you have these big companies wanting to take these long-term leases. Mm. And so taxes, you know, factoring that and saying, how do we optimize? You know, in real estate, you have 1031 exchanges. In oil and gas, you have these different, you know, write-offs you can take. You've got accelerated depreciation. You've got cost segregation in real estate. So there's all these things that you're like, there's the return on paper, but then there's like the phantom return, which is the tax savings. And it's it's every bit as real. Anybody who's investing their own money, it's like, what I don't pay in taxes is, is that's real dollars that I made. You know what I mean? And so that one's really important to us tax efficiency. And then the last one's diversification, just not having all of our eggs in one basket. And so we're, you know, we, we diversify over a lot of different industries and so much of it is driven, you know, we, we invest our personal capital in these deals as well. And so, you know, we're not going to go do deals that we're not excited about personally. And so I think smart being spread out over a lot of different, and that's why I'm an investor with you guys. You know, that's not something that we do, but it is, a category that you know I, I believe in i've had success in and you know and so we invest well in diversified in your fund yeah because i'm not an expert on early stage stuff and so i you know our, our stuff's just kind of common sense it's like there's a book it's called the richest man in babylon and he talks about this simple story of this guy he's poor and his friend if you guys read this book mm-hmm. yeah I mean, I mean it's so good classic um but he's poor and his buddy's the richest man in Babylon. And so he ends up going to his buddy and his buddy starts teaching him how to make money. And the first, you know, law is pay yourself first. And he's like, well, all of, you know, he said 10% of everything you make is yours to keep. And he's like, well, everything I make is mine to keep. He's like, well, is it? Like, what do you have left? He didn't have anything left. And so he started paying himself first and gets this little nest egg. And then he goes and invests it and he gives it to the brick maker to go buy diamonds. And he comes back to his friend and his friend's like, you're a fool. The brick makers, the Phoenicians are scoundrels. They stole your money. And his buddy comes back all bummed because he, you know, got scammed by the Phoenicians. And I think about that a lot when I think about investing. I'm it's like, like your first hundred thousand. hundred percent. Anytime I've lost, you want to hear an even funnier story. Um, I'm on my mission. And my buddy's dad was super wealthy. He'd made like 40 or 50 million bucks selling a company. And I'm smart enough to know, like, go interview people that are really successful and just like copy them. You know, don't reinvent the wheel, just like shamelessly copy. 
So I ask him, I'm like, hey, would you let me come interview your dad? I'm 21 years old. So I drive up to his house, lives up in Heber. He just lives on this sweet estate, beautiful house. And I'm like, 21-year-old kid, just like, oh, my gosh. This Glossy is, eyed. This is crazy. <laughs> like, like, how is this possible? Good for you for having the guts to just go well, talk so to I him. Go, go do it. I go sit down with this guy. And he was so confident. And he just said, hey, you're, you're, you're like that kid that's like climbing the mountain to go slay the dragon. And he's like, but this is what I'm going to tell you. You have to pay the piper. And you'll pay him now or you'll pay him later, but you will pay him. So do the hard thing now or you're going to do the hard thing later, but you can't skip it. And I, so I'm hearing that and I'm like, okay, I'm do the hard thing. So then the second one, he gives me this book, Richest Man of Babylon. He's like, every lesson that I've learned in finance comes from this book. And he's like, and every time I've screwed it up, I violated these principles. And I'm like, oh, yes. And I go read it. And then I screwed up everything. <laughs> like, like everything that it said to do, I didn't do. But now we try to actually like live by it where, you know, so much of our investment thesis, we're, we're never saying like, I'm the expert on real estate. What we're saying is I'm going to go find the expert on real estate. I'm going to partner with that expert. And never saying I'm the expert on aviation, but we're going to go find the person that's the expert. And it's kind of that it's give money to the brick maker to build bricks, give money to the shield maker to build shields. And, and when I, when I screw it up, when I lose money is when I give money to the brick maker to go buy diamonds. They go do something they've never done before and they get outside of their skis and that's where it blows up. And that's been my personal experience. And we try to just be disciplined on those five things of, you know, compound, don't lose money, diversify, be tax efficient and take asymmetric risk. I think this has been amazing. I think so good. it's good advice yeah. for founders too, to focus on what their core competency is, yeah. you know, because they're more investable at that point. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's also helpful for founders to hear what, you know, really proficient investors like yourself, Casey, are looking for in companies, yeah. right? They yeah. need to do the same thing. For right? sure. So cool. Anything else you wanted to talk about or what do you guys or... want to talk about? Where do you want to go? Oh, we love this. This has been fantastic. I think, I think, uh, for time's sake, we'll start to wrap it up, but, um, it's been a pleasure to kind of well, talk with you. I appreciate you guys and, have me. It's yeah. an honor to be a part of it. And like I said, like I, I love investing with Rev Road. Thank you. you know, like I, it's not something that we do, Yeah. but I value people that do it and do it well. And yeah. you guys aren't just like investors. You guys are operators. Like you guys Correct. get in and you help and you, you, you add value outside of just the capital that's deployed. That's right. And, you know, I think about that and I think about that startup mentality, you know, the, the course that we teach at BYU, it's off of the book of Nellet and Skellet. Mm -hmm. And I took courses from Clayton Christensen at Harvard Amazing. You know, before he passed away. Yeah, we'll miss him. And, and he talks about this, this philosophy of in the beginning, you know, be patient with growth and impatient with profits. Really get the unit economics right. You know, make sure that you know, the fundamentals of that business work. And then once you figure that out, then you get impatient with growth and patient with profits. If you know that the unit economics are right, then it's about going and getting the market. Yep. Put but gas people, on the fire. But people screw it up every single time. And it's the same thing with nail it and scale it. It's like, you know, you, the traditional plan, go build a business plan, go raise a ton of money and then go see if it figure works. Figure it out. Yeah. Where, you know, the inverted part is you go in and you get a minimum viable product, you go validate, you go, you know, make sure that there's, you know, product market fit, 
and then you go raise a little bit of capital to go get some momentum and it it inverts kind of the the success failure ratio by so much and so much capital is just burned by people kind of violating that like programmatic process of you know starting businesses and that's you know what i respect about you guys is you guys are so programmatic and you're so thank you you know thorough we appreciate that thoughtful about being disciplined with that process thank you one thing i've noticed about you and your group too just because i know so many other investors that are in your group is you're not just business partners and colleagues you're really good friends yeah you guys hang out and do a lot of cool stuff together outside of work We, we, we try to be value add like, mm-hmm. like, and this is like a philosophy that I live by, which is just all of us have people that are takers in our life. Yes. And we also have people that always give, that they always light us up. And this mentality of be a person of value, that when you show up, that you put more into the pot than you take out. And if you can do that consistently over time, you're just going to have a lot of friends because everybody likes to be around the person that like, makes them feel good, but also adds value to them. That's anticipating like, what needs do they have? How could I help them grow their business? How could I help them support their business? Who could I introduce them to that? You're not sitting around waiting for it. You're anticipating like, how can I add value? Not just one time because I'm self-interested, but all the time. I love that. And, and I think that philosophy has served us really well. Where love we, that. We, we try to be that partner that always puts more into the pot than we take out. And it served us really well. It served me well in my personal life, but it also has served us, you know, well professionally. And it's amazing how like the time to fix the roof isn't like when it's raining outside. <laughs> like the time to make those deposits isn't like when you need something from somebody. It's it's years, you know, before. Like um, I, I just finished Seven Habits of Highly Effective People again. And this book is, you know, it's the Bible of like efficiency and like productivity. And I'm reading this book. I, I, yeah, I named my daughter Covey. Like, <laughs> I love that. I, I love this book. You know, it's fundamentally changed my life. And I'm reading again. It's like I've never read it before. And it's just blowing my mind. I'm hearing these concepts. And, and he, he brings up, you guys read this book, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's um, the book we're reading at Rev Road as a it, full team this it's year. It's like the book. It's like, mm-hmm. just do this and you'll be successful. But he talks about the emotional bank accounts. And I'm like, that concept has influenced me so much because I see the world as emotional bank accounts. When I show up, I'm like, what is my, what is the account with this person? Am I making those consistent deposits? You know, am I, am I, because just naturally, like, like either by some crisis that's going to take place or just like a mistake, you're going to take the withdrawals. Like the, there's going to be deals that don't go the way you want them to go. There's going to be, you know, you're just going to screw it up. And, and hopefully you've got so much in that emotional account that when you take that withdrawal, the people give you the benefit of the doubt. They say, I, you know, I know Casey. I know he's a good guy. I know he's sincere. I know he works hard. I know he's honest. And on this particular thing, you know, like it didn't work out exactly, but I know that like directionally they're always doing the right thing. And over, over time it has, you know, and I, I, I think about that in my marriage. I think about that with my kids and just this account saying like, how do I always add more than I take? Because there is going to be times where you got to take, you know, we got our kids tonight that we got to go like, have like some hard teenager conversations. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope that I've made those deposits enough 
that when I have to come down hard on them, they know that I love them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think I have. I bet you have. You know, but if you haven't, they're never going to be influenced. Yeah, it you helps that I mean? trust factor, doesn't like, it? I think you're trying to like come down on them or be hard <laughs> mm-hmm. on them versus like yeah. you care about them, you know, and that's the difference between a lot of time and a lot of listening and all those things. I was a teenager not too long ago. <laughs> you, you might, even if you have put in all those, yeah. the initial reaction might For be sure. still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do it with love. Yeah. yeah. That's all I can Handle say. Handle it with love. <laughs> yep. That's true. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much. I love being a part of it. Honored to be a part of it. And congrats on all the success you guys have had. Likewise. 70 plus episodes is just insane. Like how quick you guys are doing it, how much you're growing. It's it's really fun. Well, let us know how we can help you and make some more of those deposits. I love it. That'd be great. What, uh, if people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? I mean, normally I haven't been like a social person but the the podcast is kind of a new endeavor. So there's going to be amazing. There, there actually is a place to reach out. We've got you know, it's called Case Studies. Case Studies, okay. Yep, we just launched our first Spotify, episode. Yep, Apple. On, it's on all the main, all, you know, all the major platforms. And, okay. Go know, subscribe. Yeah, go subscribe. We're plant, you know, we're kind of thinking about doing hundreds of these. And so it's not, you know, a kind of a one-time thing. It's more, we just want this to be a part of what yeah. we do going forward. And I've seen you guys implement that. And Thanks. It's been fun. It's, it's just, a great way it, to give back. You know? And it just opens doors, you know, you right. people you wouldn't have met. We, you know, we're talking and we haven't talked before. And so it just, it, it's a great excuse to go meet people in a more intimate setting. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the journey. Awesome. Okay. Good luck, Casey. Thanks guys. Thanks for being on Midnight Founders. See ya. The Midnight Founders podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.